a big praise to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, could you once again grab your Bible and hold it up and make this declaration of faith after me? Say this after me. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God. My life will be better because I've heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's hear the word of God tonight. Let's turn again to second Corinthians chapter four and verse number seven. This is one of our two anchor scriptures for our time together. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse seven. As we begin to do uh, our journey uh, this morning in both our services, we begin to talk about hidden treasure. And what we discovered as Paul writes his letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have a treasure in this earthen vessel. New Living Translation says of 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Now we have this light shining in our hearts. For we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We have this treasure in earth and vessel. Every person in here tonight, I want you to know that there's treasure within you. Amen. We describe this morning treasure as something that has worth and value. Treasure is also something that's rare and precious. Treasure is also something costly. You and I have treasure within. Would you declare after me, I have worth and value. I, have worth and value. I am rare and precious. I am costly. I have treasure within me. Go ahead and lean on your neighbor a little bit and tell them, I am rare and valuable. I am precious and have worth. I am costly. Tell them, treat me like treasure. I believe in affirmations that things can be positively stated. And I believe that every now and then we need to understand that we're not just a lot of water and sinew and flesh and earth, but we are treasure in God's eyes. The only thing worth Jesus returning to this earth for is for us that he has invested his treasure. We asked the question this morning in this, our anchor scripture, what treasure do we have inside? And in second Corinthians four, verse six, just the previous verse this time, it says, and he commanded that light should shine in darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has put his light for those who are looking to come out of darkness 
He has put his knowledge for those who are seeking to come out of ignorance. And he's also put his glory for those who need victory and need to overcome. For when Paul writes this text, the cultural setting is he's writing and in the community there were Hebrews and the Hebrews were always looking for light. For the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And Jesus Christ in his face, he brings us out of darkness into the light. The Greeks were looking for knowledge, gnosis. They valued and they esteemed knowledge to know yourself. And he said, and the knowledge of knowing yourself has been found in the face of Jesus Christ. The Romans, who were also in that culture of Hebrews and Greeks, also were looking for glory, the glory of the empire they always talked about, the glory of the emperor, the glory of conquest, the glory of victory. And he said, and if you want glory and conquest and victory in life, all of it is face in the face of Jesus Christ. God has put his light his knowledge and his glory inside of these fragile clay jars. And he wants us to reveal the treasure that is inside of us to everyone. When I come to Faith Christian Center, I know that I'm not coming to just individual pieces of treasure around the community. I'm coming to a treasure chest. There's all kind of treasure in this place. Those that are have worth and value, those that are rare and precious, and those that are costly things. Not only do we have treasure, we need to see people as treasure. Look with me in our second anchor scripture, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, if you will, 1344. And this is a parable of the kingdom. And in Matthew 13, Jesus gives all kind of parabolic and metaphoric language about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of heaven. And here he says in 1344, uh, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, uh, he hideth. And for joy thereof, he goeth and he selleth all that he has and he buys the field. Imagine the fact that you're going through a field plowing and all of a sudden your plow hits something. You stop. You, you anchor the plow and you go and you find out there's treasure in this field. So valuable you find that treasure to be that you go and you pay whatever cost it is to acquire the field so that you can get the treasure. One day God came to this earth and he found the man and the woman that he had created. And they had messed up by bad choices by listening to the wrong voice. And even in their dilemma of trying to cover up their shame and their guilt and their estrangement from him, God in Genesis 3 and 8 comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day because he knew in that garden he had not only invested uh, vegetation life and animal life and even natural and mineral treasures, but he, had invi- but he had invested his treasure, man made in his image after his likeness. But now man was separated from him. He goes and he covers that treasure and his desire is to pick it up, clean it off and put it on display. When you and I walk through this earth like Jesus did, our responsibility is to see human beings not so much as wicked and depraved and lost and not so much as uh, those that are just throwaways. Pope Francis has had a lot of writings and teachings on that no one in the world should be a throwaway person. 
He has gone on to say that his major emphasis in the papal ministry that he has, he says, is to make sure that everyone has lodging and land and labor. Everybody needs work. Everyone needs housing. Everybody needs employment. He said, because there are no throwaways. And sometimes we throw people away. But if I could see through a guy's eyes, God doesn't see people as trash. He sees them as treasure. There should be no throwaways in our community. There should be no throwaways in our country. There should be no throwaways in our world. People are not expendable. And one of the tasks that we have is to look at treasure. This morning I mentioned that when I first received the Lord, I saw people that were lost as sinners going to hell. After a few decades of trying to eliminate sinners going to hell and making it tough to go to hell for my city, I asked God to refresh my heart for the loss and he showed me sheep going astray. For the prophet said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We turned every man to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I was trying to prevent lost sheep from being picked off by the wolf, the bear and the lion and the snake. But now my picture is that the kingdom of heaven is like Matthew 13, 44. It's like treasure that's hid in the field. And I believe that in New England, in Massachusetts, in Rhode Island, in Connecticut, in New Hampshire. Listen, there's treasure in this field. And you and I as believers, God has called us to plow this field and find the treasure, which is people. Dig it up. Pay whatever price is necessary to clean it off so that it can be put on display for Jesus Christ. Lean on your neighbor, bother them one more time and tell them you're a treasure hunter from now on. Tell them you're a treasure hunter. Yeah, when we're walking around in the in the community, we're looking for treasure that may be buried but still alive and breathing. Amen. And our task is to help dig it up, clean it off, so that God can put it on display. I handed out some notes this morning, and uh, and I got through the first three points. Point four is where I start tonight. Because on that point four of those notes that I handed out, I want us to see that part of the treasure that God has placed inside of us. He has called, he has, we have a call and an assignment and a responsibility to reach lost people. And listen, there is treasure within people. I have three case studies, three case studies that are in those notes that were prepared. One case study reflects on a man that we call Gideon. And listen, Gideon was hiding when God called him as a mighty man of valor. And, and you can write this note down. I didn't put the scriptures. Judges 6 verse 11. And in Judges 6 verse 11, the Midianites had come in to harass Israel. During this particular day, Moses had brought them out of Egypt and brought them to the land. Joshua brought them into the land. But after Joshua's death, there were still enemies that harassed Israel while they were in the land. Midianites were one of them. Gideon is now hiding because the Midianites have overrun the land. And he's hiding inside of a wine press, threshing wheat. Usually when people went out to thresh wheat, they put it in an open space. And when a big stiff wind came in, they put in a fork and they threw it up in the air after an oxen had walked over the grain to separate the shell 
from the grain or the shell from the corn. And they threw all of that mixture up in the air and the chaff was blown away and the wheat or the grain would fall to the ground. Gideon should have been in an open space threshing the wheat. Instead, he's inside of a wine press hiding because he didn't want the Midianites to get his stuff. He was a man that was given to fear. And yet in Judges chapter 6 verse 11, watch this. It says, and the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebath tree, which was at Orphra. And it says, and, and it says, and uh, which belongs to Joash, the Abizanite. And it says there, while the man Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I'm sure when God found Gideon with his angel, Gideon probably thought himself to be anything other than a mighty man of valor because he was hiding out of fear. But God had to look beyond his current circumstance and see a mighty man of valor. Some of us, we believe that because we have fear or because we've been in hiding, that there is no treasure inside of us. And yet God looks beyond our frailty and sees the treasure inside of us. What fear and what causes you and I to go into hiding that won't let us step into our destiny. God's coming for you this week. And he's saying, and though you may be in fear, though you may be in hiding, I'm still here to help you discover the treasure inside of you. He comes in and he doesn't call him what he is, you coward. What are you doing inside of this wine press threshing weeds? You should be in the open field. No, he comes in and confirms and affirms who he was born to be. And he calls him a Giber, a mighty man of valor, a champion, a warrior. And when he calls him that, all of a sudden a little muscle comes on Gideon. He said, oh, you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> some of the men that I've met at the breakfast yesterday, and I see that some of them are a little bit larger than when I saw them the last time. <laughs> and I look at those brothers and say, oh, you've been working out since I saw you the last time. And they said, uh, yeah, I've been working out. <laughs> <laughs> see, those of us who are faith, we need to learn how to call things that be not. As though they were. And we need to be able to speak to the treasure inside of people. Sometimes parents will bring their kids up to me. And it's always embarrassing for me and the kid. Because most of the kids want their pastor to look at them in good light. They say, pastor, where's your oil? I need you to pray for him. Because I got his report card. And he's not doing good. And a little kid is standing there. <laughs> and I'll lift their chin up. And I'll look in their eyes and I'll say, do you know Jesus, the genius, lives inside of you? And their eyes get big. I said, Jesus knows everything. And that's who lives inside of you. 
I said, he knows geography. He knows biology. I said, he knows zoology. He knows mathematics. I said, in fact, in his book, he has a book called Numbers. And as I begin to review that all things were created by him and for him, and I begin to affirm in that child that Jesus, the genius, lives inside of you. I say, maybe Jesus has not just been aware that you want his help. So let's awaken the Jesus, the genius inside of you. Let him cooperate with your spirit and with your mind. And I lay my hands on him and say, Lord, let every one of the circuits in their brain fire. As it was designed to fire. Let them come to their remembrance of things that they have studied. So that they can excel and do excellence in their life. And when I speak to them, I see their lights go on. Because there are mighty men and women of valor. But somehow they got buried in a wine press someplace. This angel of the Lord comes to affirm the treasure that's inside every now and then. It won't be an adult that's drugged before me. But an adult will walk up to me and say, Pastor, pray for me. And I say, what do you want me to pray for? The Lord told me to go back to school because I need more knowledge to get the advancement that I want. I've had some people that, that were licensed practical nurses, and then they became registered nurses. Now they have to go back and get their bachelor's in nursing, and they say, lay your hands and pray for me, because uh, they said, these circuits in this computer have a fire for a long time. And I look at them and I say, do you know that Jesus, the genius, lives in you? And that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are a marvelous work of the Lord. And I lay my hands on them. And when many of them come on our graduation Sunday, we make a big to-do on graduation Sunday. We tell people, if you got a certification this year, if you graduated, uh, come on up here. And we line up all of our graduates. We put on our robes with our bars and our hoods. And we just celebrate. Get all the doctors and PhDs. I said, dress in academic regalia today. And we make it a big old baccalaureate service, you know. And we celebrate our graduates. And when I see some of those students that I prayed for, and some of those adults I prayed for, and they graduate and they come across with their cords and they graduated cum laude and sum cum laude and magnum cum laude. I say, look at what God has done inside their lives. People that thought that they couldn't achieve anything. And then they've gotten all of these degrees. When I look at them, I smile myself because some graduate sum cum laude, magnum cum laude. Some of us graduated, thank the laude. <laughs> Every time we went in to take a test, we say, thank you, Jesus. I know you're going to help me. Thank you, Jesus. I know you're going to help me. Because we need to help people discover the treasure inside of them. I'm sure that Gideon would have lived his life in hiding in that wine press until someone came and said, but there's treasure inside that wine press. Think about David and then look with me in Psalm 78. We good go to Samuel, but let's look in Psalm 78 for this man, David, because this psalmist kind of rehearses and reviews some of Israel's history. And in Psalm 78 and verse number 70 through 72, I wrote under point number four that David was a shepherd and he was caring for a sheep when God saw a king. Think about a peasant caring for sheep. Do you know that being a shepherd in a community during the time of David and during the time of Jesus was one of the lower jobs in the community? Yeah, it wasn't glorious at all. 
when you couldn't do anything else, we could get you together to tend sheep. Usually when someone was tending sheep, usually the communities were very small and not everybody had a big flock. So they would find one guy and somebody would take their one little lamb and they would give it to the shepherd. Somebody else would bring their three lambs and give it to the shepherd. Somebody else would bring their four or five sheep and give it to the shepherd. And that shepherd was responsible for the village's sheep. That's why losing one sheep was so critical. Because one family might have brought one sheep, and if you lost their sheep, you would lose their livelihood. So the shepherd was responsible for a whole lot of families' goods. David was out tending sheep for his father. They weren't even his own. And Psalm 78 and verse 70 says, and he also chose David his servant. And it says, and he took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, and he brought him the shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he, that is David, shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. He chose David. God could have looked at all of those sons in Jesse's house. These were look good looking guys because when the prophet is sent and he says, Saul is disqualified, the first king of Israel, go down to Bethlehem. He says, and uh, go down and find Jesse's house and anoint me there a king of my choosing. The prophet comes down and says, Jesse and Jesse looks at him and says, well, why have you come? He says, I need to look at your sons. And Jesse brings in all of his sons. They're good looking men, tall, strong, probably muscle bound workers, brilliant looking. And, 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 Saul, and listen, Samuel looks at him and says, any of these will make a good king. And yet when he tipped the horn of oil, the oil just wouldn't flow. He goes down every son, no oil would flow out of the horn. Finally, Samuel turns around to Jesse and said, do you have yet another son? They said, oh, yeah. <laughs> we forgot. <laughs> There's David. He's way out in the sheepfold taking care of sheep. He said, well, go get him and let me take a look at him. David comes in and the text says he's ruddish. He's red. And, and he comes in and he's probably the smallest of all of them. And when he looks at David, he turns the horn of oil and the oil flows. Samuel probably is thinking inside of his own treasure. Why didn't I know this? And God tells him, because man looks at the outward appearance. But I look at the heart and God knows his treasure inside of people. And when you and I become godly and we see people the way God does, we just don't see him as an old sheep herder out there on the back 40 acres taking care of sheep. But we can see the king inside of that shepherd. You know what God does? 
he chooses David. In other words, he puts his hands upon him. And then it says, and then he took David from behind following the young and he brought them. He brought him into his assignment, the shepherd Israel. When David gets there, he shepherds them with the integrity of his heart. He's a man after God's heart. He's always inquiring, God, what do you want to do? Even when David messes up and when he messed up, he had a big mess up. He had a big interruption. David goes back to God and say, but God, you're the one that chose me. You're the one that took me. Psalm 51, created me a clean heart. Have mercy on me, oh God. Restore a right spirit inside of me. David was so much in love with the Lord that after he knew he was chosen and he was took, he wanted to be in, walking in the integrity of his heart. And David led them with the skillfulness of his hands. And he also led them with the integrity of his heart. God saw something in David, not even his family saw. Some of you and I who are sitting in here today are surprises to our family. Because they didn't see in us what God saw in us. Some of them didn't think that we would make it. And some of them even told us that we wouldn't make it. Not every voice. In our ear is an affirming voice. And yet God, he, he chose us. And then he took us. And then he brought us into our purpose and destiny. David was a man that was tending sheep. And David was a shepherd caring for sheep. And God led him to begin to care for, for his nation, Jacob and Israel, as a kingdom. You see, many of you, I came to inform you tonight, God chose you. God took you. Some of God, some of you, God took from one community and put you in another community so he could do with you what he wanted to. And then he is going to bring you into your purpose and your destiny. You see, I know I've got chosen. I know this is Midwestern. I got took. And then I was brought into the destiny that God has. And see, God knows that he chose you. You've been seized and taken, and he's bringing you into your destiny. You might be one that even your family had no confidence in you. I like to surprise my family every now and then. One of the greatest joys you have in life is when people have told you you won't make it, you can't do it, you can never accomplish anything. And then when you start to accomplish that thing, you look over your shoulder and wink at them and then keep on moving. It's one of the greatest joys you'll have in life because God has put treasure inside of me. Look at me in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number two. I mentioned in those notes also that Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishing when Jesus, when Jesus uh, found them. They were fishing when Jesus found them. And when Jesus found them as treasure, they were out there fishing. Peter, James, and John were fishing when Jesus named them as apostles. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number two. It says, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, the son, uh, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. These men were ordinary fishermen. 
They were fishing on Lake Galilee. Most of them were Galileans from the Galilean region. Most of them fished on Lake Galilee and they were just out there catching fish. Some people would suggest that every time you come up on them, they're mending their nets. So many times they didn't even talk about that they were good fishermen, but they were in the fishing business. They were mending their nets. They were catching fish. One time Jesus records a story where they go out fishing and they had labored all night long and had caught nothing. And Jesus, who is a carpenter, has to tell them how to fish. And these guys are just thinking that their life's destiny was tied up with catching fish, cleaning fish, and selling fish. And yet Jesus comes and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. These men walk with him and they move from being being followers to disciples. And then finally, after they have had their training and their impartation, he sends them forth as an apostle. For an apostle is nothing but one that has been sent with a message and a ministry for Jesus Christ. One that has been commissioned. He sends them forth as apostles. I'm sure that they never saw that inside themselves until Jesus came by and he saw treasure inside of them. Think about Matthew who thought that his life's plot would be to collect taxes. And yet Jesus saw an apostle inside of him. And Jesus takes ordinary people. He did not choose one priest, one scribe. He did not choose one Pharisee or one Sadducee or one Herodian. Jesus went to common everyday people and he made them in the world changers. Most of the people that are changing our world are just ordinary people who connect with an extraordinary God who helps them to discover the treasure inside of them. And then they go out and they do extraordinary things. We have the case study of Gideon and of David and of the 12. And I want you to know that if that's true in the Galilean region and in Israel, then it also can be true here in New England that maybe the person working next to you, living next to you, across the street from you, some of your friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, and kids can be the treasure around you. When our church first started, we started with seven people around the table in 1982. We had our first service in 1982, May, and 35 people showed up. And from those 35 people, uh, with us seven, uh, some 20 Plus of those people uh, decided that they wanted to connect with us or 16 of those people decided that they wanted to connect with us. At the end of the day, we were 23 people as a church. I was passing a big church after the first day. Went from seven to 23. We sang a cappella because we didn't have any musicians. And today you have CDs and tracks that are just excellent quality. But then all we had was our voices. We clapped our hands. We stomped our feet. We danced and we sang a cappella. We did that for a year and we saw that church grow from those 23 people to filling a hundred folding chairs in a little warehouse space. They started bringing kids. And then after a while, we had so many people that when I preached, men would stand around the walls while the women could be seated. And the kids were out in the offices having Sunday school. I remember one Sunday. I said, you know what? It's time for us to begin to pray and believe God to add some musicians to our worship. We know how to worship. We've done it for 18 months, but I believe that we will be enhanced now with some instruments. One day a man came into our church because we were a multicultural church. I didn't really notice who he was. 
He was actually a white man and he sat down and he worshiped. And when I gave the time of decision, his testimony was John. Pastor John, listen, he said, all of a sudden, my body stood up. And he said, and I found myself in the front of this church saying, I want to join here. We prayed for him. He went through his newcomers class and we prayed every Sunday that God would begin to send us the best anointed committed musicians for this house in the city. The best anointed community musicians for this house in our city. And when I begin to say, we're not going to go hire somebody, we're just going to believe God that God is going to send the best anointed committed musicians in this, uh, for this house in this city. And this man raised his hand. And he says, I can play. And I said, you could play what? <laughs> his name was John Dean. Now, I came from the Watergate uh, era, so, so that, that kind of scared me a little bit. <laughs> his name was John Dean. And he says, you don't remember me, but you met me in prison. I said, oh, boy, here we go. Here I am, an African-American pastor. I got this white guy. I said, what do you play? And he says, I play guitar. Now, there's a difference between a guitar and a guitar. But you know what? We saw treasure inside of John. We found out in John that John knew how to read music, but in prison, he learned how to play by ear. And he played for the chapels in prison. And he played liturgical music. He could play hymns. He could pray old Negro spirituals because some of those guys were in prison. He could pray Pentecostal courses as well as some of the Jewish courses that we were singing. Anything we could sing, he could play in any key that we sang it in. And Teresa's mom came to our church and every time she came, she said, is your guitar player still with you? And I said, yeah, John's still there. And we started seeing treasure in him, sent him to a couple of symposiums to help him perfect his skill, begin to make investment in him. And then he started being on demand various places in the city. He then began to work on his voice because there was treasure inside. And we didn't look at the color of his skin. We didn't look at his background that I met him at Pickway Correctional Institute. We saw him as treasure. Who is it that God may have sent into your life that may not be all that they are going to be, but you can see the treasure on what they could become? See, many of us are becomers. We are people that are stepping into our destiny, emerging into our assignment, becoming who we were born to be. God did it for Gideon. He did it for David. He did it for Peter, James, and John. He did it for John as well as James. And listen, if he did it for Andrew and Peter, James and John, he can do it for you. There's treasure inside of us. Part of the treasure is not only the light and the knowledge and the glory of God. Not only do we have case studies of God finding treasure that didn't know it was treasure, but also God has put treasure in you. You see, I put on this point here, uh, Luke chapter six, verse 45. And if you'll turn there to Luke six, 45, we'll find an interesting scripture that talks about how there's also a treasure inside of every one of us that can help to bring people into their destiny. Luke six, 45 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by 
the word of God. And in Luke chapter six and verse 45, here it says, listen, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. It says an evil man out of an evil treasure in his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, the treasure within determines how you and I respond to the events of life. If you and I have a good treasure inside, if we have the light and the knowledge and the glory of God inside of us, do you know that we're going to respond to life's event? We're going to respond in a different way than if we have an evil negative treasure inside. You see, the treasure inside of people is a game changer. And it can cause global impact or treasure inside. And the word says when somebody has a good treasure, what God has invested in us, light and knowledge and glory, out of that good treasure, he's going to bring forth good things. Listen, if somebody has evil inside of them, out of that evil treasure, they're going to bring forth evil. You see, treasure inside of someone is revealed in their words, my friends. And the words of our mouth reveal the treasure that's inside of us. I've learned as I've discovered that I am a treasure, I have treasure inside and people have changed treasure to change my words because my words can impact people. It can be a game changer in somebody's life and my words can be have global impact. My son sent me a text last night and my sons both wrestled and they said that the NCAA wrestling finals were on. So I turned over on the channel and and when I got there, they were right about at the middleweights there. And Penn State had the last six wrestling categories. They had finalists in their Penn State University. And it was interesting. They started pinning and started uh, teching everybody. And when I was watching this, I said, oh, my. And when they interviewed the wrestlers, when they came off, 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 off the mat, they said, what did your coach tell you that you guys have won one match and then two matches and then three matches? That's usually very unusual in college wrestling. And they said, he said, you've already worked. Go out there and have fun. And when every one of those wrestlers came off as a national champion, they said, how did you win that match? They said, I just went out and had fun. You see, sometimes you just need a confirming voice that just doesn't say work hard. It doesn't just say you can make it if you try, but you need to have somebody just say, go out there and have fun. And they went out there and they were loose as a goose. They were out there hitting their moves and they won that uh, this championship on those last categories because somebody was a confirming voice. Listen. Your words are critical to reaching the lost because some people are lost because of the words that they have heard. They have heard words from family, from relatives, from associates, from neighbors, and from kids that told them that they would not amount to and couldn't do anything. One of the physicians in our community her parents are great friends with me. In her undergraduate work, she made the announcement, I want to go to medical school. And a college advisor told her, you need to choose another career because you are not bright enough and you don't have the capacity to go to medical school. Her parents both have master's degrees, teach in the public schools. And, and she told them what they said and both of them got angry and they said, you know what God has placed inside of you. And both of them told her simultaneously, and when you get your medical doctor's degree 
And when you become a medical doctor, that general practitioner, you need to go back to that university and show that to them. And that's exactly what she did. After she went through medical school and went through residency and then went through her specialty training, she went back and she said, I want you to know I am a medical doctor. And don't you ever tell a student like that. Listen, words are critical. And a person out of an evil treasure of the heart will bring forth evil words. But a person out of a good treasure of a heart will bring forth good words. Listen, look in Psalm 19, because in Psalm 19, just to piggyback on that thought, God tells us about the power of his words. And then he wants us to know the power of our words. Psalm 19. (laughs) In Psalm 19, we find this. In Psalm 19, it says, listen, this is the chief to the chief musician. It says a Psalm of David. Then it says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. New King James I'm reading. It says day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all of the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. He's describing the heavens and they speak of the creative genius of God. He said, and if you don't believe that there's a God, just go out on a starry night and look up and tell me that all of that was an accident. He said, they're talking. And they become a tabernacle to house the sun. Verse five, it says, which is like the bridegroom coming out of the chamber. When the bridegroom came out of the chamber, somebody was saying, behold, the bridegroom coming, the bridegroom coming. Listen, the invisible things of God are revealed in the thing that he created. Even his eternal power in Godhead says Romans chapter one. It says as a, in verse five, which is like a bridegroom that cometh out of the chamber and he rejoices like a strong man and he, and went to run its race. It says it's, it's rising is from one end of heaven. It says it's circuit to uh, the other end. It says, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. He talks about creation is speaking. Now he begins to talk about God is speaking his words. He says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. God's law gives us a knowledge of our sin. For Romans 3.20 says with the law, we get a knowledge of our sin, our failure, our shortcoming. It says the testimony of the truth of the Lord is true. Making wise the simple when you and I study the testimony of how God has interfered and interacted in people's life. It makes wise the simple. It says here, it says the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Sometimes I don't know all the ways of God, but I know whatever God is doing, it is right. One day, a lady in our church had an infant that died shortly after birth. It hurt all of our hearts because we were expecting a child born alive, and it was. And then 
few days later, child was gone. One of her questions was, Pastor, she said, I yield to the will of God. I know that there's God and humanity and the devil and corruption in the world. But she asked me the question. She said, but where is my child and will I see that child again? And I said, daughter, I said, I believe in a God that will do right. He's a God of heaven and of earth. And the Lord God of heaven and of earth, he will do right. Even when Bathsheba birthed the first child that she had with David in adultery and the child died. David got up and watched himself and he says, I cannot, he says, I, that child cannot come to me, but I must go to it. Sometime when we have dilemmas, we have to just trust God. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing just to trust him. And the statutes of the Lord are right. I believe in a righteous God and a Lord God of heaven that will do right. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. Here's another word for his word. The commandments of the Lord are pure. Enlightening the eyes. Pastor John taught us about his commands and his voice last night and enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What do we say about God's word? More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Listen, his word is sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, God's words. What are his words? His law, his testimony, his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments. Moreover, by them, uh, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great rewards. reward. Listen, when God's law, his testimony, his statutes, his, uh, his commandments, and also his judgments, when they abide in us, these things are more worth more value than gold and then silver. Verse number 12, it says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep me back. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be blameless and shall be innocent of great transgressions because your word abides inside of me. Then he closes with this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. One of my prayers is God, when I interact with your treasure, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Listen, write these down as just some final thoughts as I get ready to close tonight because I want to talk to you some about words. I want to talk to you about words. Just write these little phrases down. There are words we hear and it's very easy to hear positive words. Words that say, you look good today. Words that acknowledge you by name. Words that affirm you as a person. There are words we hear, and usually those are what we call positive words. Listen, secondly, there are words we don't hear. 
because those words are words when we're just not paying attention. And sometimes God is speaking and creation is speaking and even life circumstances are speaking. But there are words that we don't hear because we're not paying attention. Anyone that's been married has understood that when their wife has told them to do something several times, but the football game is on. New England is coming back on the Atlanta Falcons in the fourth quarter. And the wife has been saying, honey, 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 and we're all into it. I was in Atlanta on that weekend. And the wife has been saying, honey, 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 and I'm locked in on the flat screen. So she comes and stands in front of the flat screen. (laughs) To get the attention of the one that she's talking to, because sometimes there are words we don't hear because we're not paying attention. You know what? There are also nine words that we hear, words that we don't hear, but there are also words that are difficult to hear. And a good man out of a good heart brings forth good. These are unexpected words, words that we, words that are difficult to hear. Sometimes it's an unexpected diagnosis that we don't want to hear. Sometimes it's a call that something tragic or traumatic has happened and a friend is in an emergency room. Sometimes we hear words that we don't want to hear about failure of someone that we love. Sometimes we hear words that we don't want to hear that someone is announcing a divorce or separation. There are words that we don't want to hear. Sometimes we don't want to hear the assessment on our job. Sometimes we don't want to hear the performance review on our job. And friends, there are words that we don't want to hear. And not only the words that we hear, words that we don't hear, words that we uh, are that are difficult to hear, but there are words that we never need to hear. Words that we never need to hear are degrading words. Words that degrade the treasure that you are. Word that degrades you because of your accent or your nationality or your personhood. Degrading words are words that we never need to hear. When I was a kid, teachers used to tell us sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. I found out that's a nice rhyme, but it's not true. Words can hurt. And there are words that we don't need to hear, degrading words. You know, there are words that we wish we would hear. And those are words that I call affirmations. Someone that affirms us. That when I walk down a hallway, when I walk down a hallway, even as a human being, not as a pastor, I'm used to speaking to everyone. Because I acknowledge someone's person when I speak to them. Even the little children walk by. I say, how you doing, young man? How you doing, young lady? How you doing, sir? How you doing, ma'am? If I know their name, it's even better if I can call people by name. And they're words that we wish we would hear. And those are words of affirmation. Someone that tells us, I'm glad to see you. Someone that tells us, you look good today. Someone that tells you, I'm so glad you're here. Someone that says, I'm so glad you came. Words that affirm us as a person. After you've ministered, people that say, you did good. Thanks for leading us in worship. People that work on the parking lot, you say, thank you for serving out here. 
Friends, there are words that we wish we heard, and those are words of affirmation that affirm us as a person. Listen, there are words that we wish we never hear. And these are words of criticism. Thought finding. Critics are not people that are trying to fix something in you. They're really trying to get to your heart and degrade you. And a critic is usually someone that never has anything good, but can always find the crack, the flaw, the chink in your armor. And friends, there are words that we wish we never hear. And that's criticism and fault finding. Jesus teaches us in the book of Mark how to deal with critics. Listen, there are words that we need to hear. You know what that's called? Truth. I'm one of those people that say, listen, no matter how hard it may be, tell me the truth. My sons and my daughter are grown now and they watch people raising their children. And sometimes, and and no, they watch other of their friends raising their children. My oldest son has two children, grandchildren. My daughter's married. She doesn't have any children yet. My youngest son is not married. But some of them, they just watch people raising their kids. And sometimes when they get together and they talk, they say, that kid wouldn't have made it in in our home. (laughs) And I say, why are you saying that about that child? They said, because they said, they don't tell the truth. And one of the things I told my children, I drilled into them. I said, I'm your dad. Your mom is your mom. I said, tell us the truth. I said, now, you know, we're always going to have to deal with you based on truth. I said, but when I ask you a question, if you tell me the truth, it's going to be a less severe dealing. Did I say that right? Then if you tell me a lie or have to give me a deception. And I explained it like this. I said, if you tell me the truth, then I can react or respond to it in like kind. I said, but listen, if you lie to me, then I'm no longer going to have to be your dad. I'm going to have to take off the dad hat. Then I'm going to have to put on the police hat. And then I'm going to have to do an investigation. I'm going to have to hire a team. I'm going to have to get a dog. I'm going to have to do crime scene investigation, CSI. I said, I'm going to have to strap on my mace, my taser, and my gun, and my club. And after I finally get to the truth, I'm going to be tired. Now, I'm going to have to hurt you. (laughs) So, tell me the truth. And friends, there are words that we need to hear. And those words are words of truth. And sometimes words of truth are hard to receive, but we need to hear words of truth. Listen, there are words that we need to hear regularly. We need to hear regular words that edify us and encourage us and comfort us, come alongside to strengthen us. And when the church, which is a prophetic community where prophecy takes place, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, if anybody prophesies, let him speak edification, things that build people up, exhortation, things that encourage people, and comfort things that strengthen people. And what would happen if we said that regularly? There are words that we need to hear regularly. We need to build up people, encourage people, and strengthen people. Listen, there are words that we need to say. We need to learn how to say thank you. Would you look at your neighbor right now and say, thank you for sitting next to me. 
tell him you are sitting next to a treasure and tell him and I see the treasure in you go ahead and tell him there are words we need to say thank you there are needs words that we need to say here's another three words that we need to say I'm sorry oh And we say, I'm sorry, because sometimes we make mistakes and we blow it. And we need to come back and not make excuses, but just simply say, I'm sorry. Here's a word we need to say, forgive me. Try that. It won't hurt too, too hard. Just try it with your neighbor. Just say, forgive me. Because sometimes we need to ask for forgiveness because we miss it. And forgiveness says, release me. For every time we have been offense, offended and hurt, there needs to be a day of emancipation. And the day of emancipation is when I've released that thing and I'm not going to bring it up anymore. And that starts on the day when I say the words, forgive me. Listen, here's some words that we need to say. I love you. And there's a generic love that means I'm always seeking your highest good all the time. That's the kind of love that we use between the brothers and sisters in the church. But then sometimes there's that romantic love. Like when I look at Teresa and I say, I love you. So you got to stretch it out a little bit there. Okay. Did y'all see that? I love you. Okay. (laughs) A little bit different than I love you. Okay. And friends, there are words that we need to say, I love you. Final words, and Pastor Ray, you can come now. There are words that we need to share. You know the words that we need to share with the treasure on the earth? We need to share praise with the treasure on the earth. And if something is praiseworthy, share things that are worthy of praise. When God does something in your life or something in this church's life, when we looked at the harvest that came into this church at 11 o'clock service, that's a praiseworthy thing. People came up all the way across the front of the church saying, I need change in my life. I need to turn something around. I discovered I'm a treasure. Listen, that's praiseworthy. There are words that we need to share. That's called praise. We need to share words of good news. I'm a pretty positive person an optimist for the most part. And I love to hear good news. Share some good news with me. I can't wait to go get that good news out. There are some people that have an evil treasure in their heart and they're always trying to find something negative to share. But let's share some good news. I believe if you watch regular television news, there's enough negative stuff on TV. There needs to be some people that are sharing good news. Here's something that we need, the words that we need to share, our testimonies. Because when people see the treasure that God has made you, some people actually believe, brother, that you've been like this all of your life. That you have been in the house of the Lord, loving God, lifting your hands. And when they see us once we are clothed and in our right mind, folks are saying, I can never measure up to that. And I need to share my testimony and say, listen, I once was lost, (laughs) but now I'm found. I was blind. But now I see. 
And I love testimony time where we can share testimony with individuals, testimony in our small groups, testimonies in the church. There are words we need to share. Finally, there are words we need to share. When you learn principles, share principles with others to enhance them on their good success. Share statutes with other people when you hear of good success. There are words we need to share. We need to share our voice with the knowledge that we have. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, because my words can be a game changer and they can make global impact. There are words that we hear. There are words that we don't hear. There are words that are difficult to hear. There are words we never need to hear. There are words we wish we hear. There are words we wish we never hear. There are words we need to hear. There are words we need to hear regularly. There are words we need to say and there are words we need to share. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. For my words reveal the treasure inside. And our words can be a game changer for somebody's life. Listen, during the course of this year, let's seek to hear and to speak and to share acceptable words in reaching the lost. A faith Christian center can go out in the community and speak faith. You and I, we can share good words. We can share God's word. We can share good news. And treasure in this field can be found. Found Gideon. Found David. He found Peter and Andrew. He found James. He found John. He found you. And he wants to find more treasure. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today that our words are critical to life. And our words are critical for your kingdom. And Father, it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And oh God, tonight we have explored some case studies of people that you have found that were someplace other than where their destiny was calling them. Since out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Father, you sent an angel to speak to Gideon. You sent Samuel to speak to David. Jesus, you came and spoke to Andrew and to Peter and to James and to John. You sent your Holy Spirit and your witnesses in the earth to speak to us. And now you have put us out on display to speak to the treasure in New England. Oh God, help us to find the treasure in the community in Jesus' name. We thank you for it and we bless you. Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for it. Praise you for it now in Jesus' name.